Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I am not shy. I am not a Royals watcher. I, I, I'm not. But there is some flat-out madness that has come out uh, after the death of, of Queen Elizabeth that requires our attention because it's an example of exactly how worldwide the radicalness has gotten, the ridiculousness has gotten. The Our attention get so bombarded with such nonsense it's sometimes hard to remember what's important and it's good to be able to take the step back just walk through this almost as a as an intellectual exercise as opposed to something that requires our emotional pull because it's the emotional pull that leads to the separation, that leads to the division, that leads to the lost mind, the confused mind, the clouded mind that we see in so many places. And therefore, serious subjects don't get addressed. And there are some serious subjects that need to be addressed, and I'm going to share them as they are shared in this conversation after the death of Queen Elizabeth. Of course, uh, dying at the age of 96 uh, at her home in Balmoral. In Scotland, her body has been making its way through uh, Scotland, stopping in Edinburgh. It will then proceed by royal train to London, where it will lie in state in a series of places before being laid to rest. This is a big deal worldwide, whether you want it to be or not. Whether you're didn't didn't we fight a didn't we fight a war not to care about the royals? That that argument that I've seen on social media from people I know and like is just not the argument in question. We don't want a royal system. As I watch this about the royals, I am more and more convinced I don't want dynasties in the United States. Not the Bushes, not the Clintons, and not the Trumps. Nope. Don't like it. Don't want it. But let me give you a couple of things and where they apply to us. The first was this idea that everybody in, in the UK is going to get two weeks off to mourn the Queen. Well, that's, that's not the truth. That's, that's, that's not the case. But then you saw some people deciding to make this racial. Sure, the, the British get two weeks off to mourn the Queen, but not black people. I'm sorry. What? First, if you want to make that racial... My gosh, how do you ever, ever obtain any level of happiness? But when your existence is predicated on the idea that everything has to be about race, this intersectionality idea, this critical race curriculum concept, well, then you have to be outraged by everything and everything has to have outrage regardless of whether or not it's real. That is how people live their lives, and very often that has an effect on you because that's how some CEOs live their lives, that's how some teachers live their lives or administrators live their lives, that's how some neighbors live their lives. When I drive down the street and I see a neighbor that says, we're a home that supports DEI, I say to myself, you really needed a sign? Couldn't you just do that? Did you really need a sign? We believe that love is love and science is real. You've seen that sign. Couldn't you believe those things and simply not share that with me? 
These are the same people who will be upset if you fly an American flag. You mean the nation in which I live, flying the flag of that nation is problematic? That's the problem? That was my Howard Dean. That wasn't bad. That was not a bad Howard Dean at all. That like that's that was guttural right there. The British get two weeks off, but but black people don't. You 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 know you can be British and black at the same time, right? I I don't I don't know I don't know if they know this. Maybe they don't think you can be British and black at the same time, which um would be a little bit uh, it would be a little bit um. Uh, problematic if someone were to think that it would actually be a little bit uh you're a little bit racist well you're a little bit too i guess we're both a little bit racist admitting it is not an easy thing to do but i guess it's true between me and you i think everyone's a little bit racist sometimes more show tunes it's from avenue q people so that was the first like just bit of nonsense. Never mind that no one's getting two weeks off. The idea that you don't think that there are people who are black and British was just my my gosh. Uh, I, I it, it's so weird of of a thing to say. Um, it just just rid- ridiculous. I mean, have you not met Seal? Let's go to the thing number two. The thing number two has to do with the fact that people are up in arms, up in arms, I do say, that when Prince William and Prince Harry were together, because William invited Harry and Meghan to meet with people and say their thanks and look at all the the flowers for for their grandmother, that when they got into a car, William got on his side and, and, and his wife, Kate, got in on her side. But Prince Harry, he opened the door for Meghan and made sure she was inside and then closed the door behind her and then got in on the car. And that just proves that Harry and Meghan are the better couple. My gosh. Could you imagine being William? Every second of your life is this micromanaged. All you did was not embarrass the crown or yourself. You never once told the queen to kiss off. You never once dressed like Hitler. You did everything right. And you're married to Kate Middleton, who by every single measure is not only lovely, but gorgeous. And you still are getting crapped on in the media. Wow. It's incredible. Incredible. Also incredible, the people who look at that kind of thing as if somehow it proves the relationship's value. I've known my wife my whole life. I've been with my wife a good long time. A very, very good long time. Let me say for the record, there are times I open the door for my wife. And there are times I don't. I'm a good husband. I'm a bad husband. Says who? 
those schmucks out there who want to analyze a video of doors being closed like it's the freaking Zapruder film and then want to tell us what is decent. Here's the story. Prince Harry abandoned what is history to be the most whipped guy in America. Like we needed to somehow import more guys who are whipped by their wives. Now you say to me, Tony, how dare you say whipped? I said it and I meant it. You see, the, the idea that, that you love your wife and that you respect your wife, that, that's an extremely important function. Uh, to, to love and respect one spouse is, is incredibly important. And to want them to be treated well to want to treat them well, to want to do for them. Incredibly important. I am a, a huge believer, a huge believer in this. But if you are somebody who believes in the concept, for example, of happy wife, happy life, you don't believe in that at all. You don't believe in that at all or in any way. You are involved in a radical, radical level of hate. If you believe happy wife, happy life, you're in an awful marriage, get out now. And if you are a woman who believes happy wife, happy wife, happy life, may I let you know that he doesn't love you because you're terrible. Uh, hey, hey, Ryan, um, uh, how are we doing on uh, that uh, relationship show that I've been working on? We, we, still, we still good with that? That's still going to work? I think it's going well. Thank you very much. This is the dress rehearsal, right? Yeah, someone should have told me. Um, it's true. I, I, I have no... Look, look, if you're a friend of mine and you believe this, and I've never heard you say it, you now know where I am. Uh, you can decide whether you're going to talk to me or not talk to me again. I'm cool with it. Happy wife, happy life. Do you know how abusive and gross that sounds? Never mind watching it in practice. Because when I see people do that, I'm like, there's somebody I'm never going to get to know. And then uh, I look at my wife and I'm like, God, I love you. And then we go about our business. So this, that's the second bit of madness that's coming. The third one came from CNN. So I give you the first two pieces of madness. This idea about the two weeks off and then somebody thinking that somehow if you're black and British, you're not really British, which is insane. Then people analyzing how the, uh, how, how the, uh, the Prince William and, and, and Princess Kate, they're now the Prince and Princess of Wales, got into uh, the uh, car versus uh, uh, Harry and, and, and Meghan, the freeloaders of Santa Barbara, how they got into a car. This is number three. Christiane Amanpour on CNN talking about reparations. And Max, I really do believe that we have to have this conversation right now, even at this moment. Because different demographics, different people were looking, listening well, exactly. for different reasons. And look what he said. In the 70 years of her being on the throne, many cultures and many faiths have flourished in these past seven decades. But there is an ongoing, particularly in the wake of Black Lives Matter, particularly in the protests that, that erupted all over the world after what happened in, in Minnesota, here as well, in France, in other parts of these nations that had colonial 
servants, let's face it. People were in service to this empire. The wealth of this empire was derived on the back of the people of the of 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 their empire on display in the palace right on display on everywhere and in the crown and everywhere so what we're saying is that there are there is the generation of multicultural and diverse britons who want this answered who want to see their monarch finally talk about what it means and what you know potentially the idea of reparations definitely justice right justice christian amanpour is a fool and anybody who thinks that the British uh, people should have to pay for history are out of their minds. It did happen. British Empire is very real. People got subjugated, absolutely positively true. And now they are not, and that's the end of it. And you cannot rectify any level of wrongs that you perceive because it's simply impossible to do. Every rational person knows this. I'll give you an example. I do not believe in reparations being paid in the United States. Slavery is evil. Slavery is evil. You won't get me to think any other way. We are not a nation that engages slavery anymore. We fought a war about not engaging slavery. Hundreds of thousands of people murdered. Brother killed brother on this subject. There is no amount of reparations that will ever satisfy. Is there? If you told every black person in the United States, you're getting $5 million, uh, the answer would be, why not six? Six, why not seven? Seven, nine, not eight. Why? Because it wouldn't come from every black person, but it would certainly come from people who decided it's not enough. There is no number that can satisfy. And wait until you get into the conversation. You only give the reparations to people who can prove that their families were descendants or they were descendants from slave families. Somebody who came over from Africa in 2006, do they get reparations? These are the questions that would have to be asked. And wait till you see the fight on that subject. Half black, half the reparations? There is no number that could possibly suffice. There is no number that could work if you told me that Germany to every Jewish person was going to pay a reparation regarding the Holocaust, I would say, stop it. Stop it. There's no number that suffices, no matter what Germany gave Israel, no matter how many Mercedes were offered up to be taxis, it doesn't matter. There's no number that makes up for it. The only thing one can do is move on with their lives. Remember and move forward. Remember and move forward. And that is it. What is the number to be put on my grandmother's sister who came to the United States but for an ear infection wasn't allowed in and was sent back to her death? That's a true story. My grandmother came with four sisters, but one of them had an earache and they wouldn't let her off, off the boat. And she went back. What number? What check do you write to answer that? And who would decide the number and who would approve of such a number? 
I've often said this about reparations. If you say reparations, you're making a deal for future black Americans. Are they going to have to accept the deal or can they make their own deal? It has to stop. History happened. And yes, slavery, flat out evil. And people who engage the slave trade, flat out evil. You know who else is evil? All of those black men who sold their brothers and their uncles and their cousins into slavery throughout Africa. If we're going to talk history, people, we're doing all of it. All of this because the queen has passed. A group of outrageous people looking to be outrageous. Looking to find their moment to show their wokeness. Finding their moment to shine and to be in the in the limelight. With never any thought to what it is that they're doing and the damage that they do to themselves and do to others. My advice... Don't get too worked up. Let's not get too nuts. Let's recognize some of the madness for what it is and recognize that people like Christiane Amanpour don't have an argument. They have a desire to show how woke they are. I'm Tony Katz. So week one of the NFL... In, in the books. And, and I must say, I, I don't know about you, but I saw 0.0 wokeness. I didn't see it. I, I saw, you know, so September 11th is when uh, they're, they're playing, of course. That was that was the real opening weekend, even though there's Thursday night football that, that takes place. Uh, the entire, there where the Jets play, MetLife Stadium, Police officer doing the national anthem, the whole crowd, the tens of thousands of people singing the national anthem. It was incredible. Incredible. I I did not. I did not see the wokeness. It is uh, my hope. My 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 sincerest hope. That this is how it goes so people can actually enjoy the NFL season. Because wouldn't we be better off if we were enjoying the NFL season? You can just enjoy football and not be, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Abused? You don't have to, I'm a bad person. Thank you, football, for reminding me how terrible I am. No, you just want to watch other bad people play football. Meanwhile, it wasn't a bad first week. A lot of coming down to field goal kind of stuff. And the Colts, of course, coming down to not hitting a field goal. I'll get into that. Oh, my Colts. I I don't know. And this is a harbinger, so it could be a bad one. I will discuss it. Also, what's going on in Ukraine? Major Mike Lyons, retired, joins us next to discuss it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. I thought that we were told that things were going poorly for Ukraine. They had the the, the great first push in the war when Russia uh, 
attacked and they they got the the world uh, on their side and they were able to get a lot of money. Uh, but then, of course, uh, the the Russians are the Russians. The advancing is the advancing. Uh, a lot of troops, even if even if they're poorly disciplined, even if they don't actually know uh, what it is they're doing there or the reason for it, they're still murderous. They're still violent. They could still cause lots of damage, and they did. And they were able to take land, a fair amount of land, more and more uh, land. And of course, uh, the Ukrainians, uh, with Vladimir Zelensky saying, we need more help. But he did it in a strange way. He was doing photo shoots for Vogue magazine. He was uh, really trying to guilt nations into this as opposed to trying to uh, build a, a, a sense of community around it. And things turned for Zelensky. Now we see that things may be turning for the Russian forces. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, great uh, to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired United States Army military analyst on TV and radio. We're hearing about forces that are retreating out of that Kharkiv region in the same way they did from Kiev when they couldn't take the capital. You have Russia making the claim that they're trying to fortify the areas of Donetsk and Luhansk. Luhansk, those areas to the southeast, those first areas that Russia tried to take, considering that they are more Russian-leaning, more Russian-friendly in that area. Uh, Talk of taking back thousands of square miles the Ukrainians have. What is going on? What is the latest? Uh, Ukraine military that was well planned and, and well executed. It uh, had the strategic objective of probably having a feint in the south and along Kherson, but with the more important victory of taking back uh, Kharkiv, and that, that is because of Izium and some of those cities that exist in that oblast there in that area, um, and the command and control, and knowing the intel that we that was provided to them, uh, we kind of did the old fashion, you know, punch a hole in it and see what happens, and they were able to find weaknesses along that line. Shows that those lines aren't static um and they took back about a thousand square miles they they basically took back land that russia took from them back in march and so from uh from their perspective it's a tremendous victory but but this victory does not assure victory at all for for ukraine they're going to have to you know they have the initiative now but they still have to mobilize more individuals and more soldiers and get more equipment from the west because russia still has tremendous capacity and capability within within inside ukraine so let me break this down a little bit or actually let me ask you to break this down a little bit punching holes in in the defense Uh, what is it that was believed was the problem with uh, these russian forces how exactly was a hole punched and then when you're able to do it what comes next how does that process work yeah, holding that's going to be difficult, and, and they're going to have to keep this alliance with the West strong. I think that's the only way this works, because you look at history when you see the fact that this has now become a war of attrition uh, over the last 200 days, and when that happens, the country with more industrial power ends up winning, and, and I think Russia still has that, that, that advantage over Ukraine. Oh, I'm not saying um, no. But, uh, I'm not saying no, Major. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I'm saying that you talked about breaking a hole in the defense. Uh, what is it that the Ukrainians saw? How did they do it? And then what was the next step? I'm asking about the how. So on a deliberate offensive where they had a military movement by, by synchronizing artillery 
infantry and armor where they were able to take known weak spots within that static line that, that had been static for the last few months. And once they got through, now they're on a different mission. It's called the exploit and pursuit. And looks like they caught the Russians um, almost uh, unexpectedly from their perspective. There's nothing they could do. They didn't have enough uh, military equipment in the area there. They had no air cover whatsoever. Uh, the fact that they were able to then use Western artillery to strike deep drop bridges on uh, our side there, or let's say the Russia, or the Ukraine side, that didn't allow those Russian military uh, units to escape. They had to go due south and due uh, east um, and try to go go in that direction. So um, it was a tremendous, from a straight military perspective, they they did exactly what you do in terms of how a plan goes. And then w once once these things go, they start slowly, they start gradually, but then they take off and they accelerate very quickly. Um, similar to, again, wars in the past. Look at day four at Desert Storm. That's really what happened. U.S. forces are in total pursuit of, of Iraqi forces. That was probably taking place. The, the Ukraine military was just killing and capturing as many Russians as they could in the last few days. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, West Point graduate, military analyst, both radio and TV. Uh, the Kremlin, you know, just a few days ago, it was Vladimir Putin saying, nothing's wrong. We haven't lost anybody. We've not, no damage to us whatsoever, which of course is, is a complete and total lie. Uh, you, they have, they're making the claim that they've uh, moved uh, troops back to protect Donetsk and Luhansk, which is, as I was saying before, same argument they made uh, about Kiev when they weren't able to move forward and they were put into retreat. Um, mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin can't afford to lose this thing, and he certainly doesn't want to be seen as losing it because he already has a tenuous situation in Russia. How bad is this for him on the home front? And when backed into a corner, what kind of savagery could he unleash? Yeah, the, the question is, how, how much does the home front actually know? You're seeing changes of attitude on Russian state TV and, and media outlets there. We've, we've been monitoring those and show that um, they are now more open about the fact that the, U, the Ukraine military is defeating Russia in certain places. Now, whether they're calling this the, the, the level of defeat it is, it, it still remains to be seen. And, and whether we think that that's going to link to his power or not, um, he, he's running out of generals, though. Vladimir Putin is stuck in this, you know, this allure of the short victory. He, he believes that once he finds the right person, he's changed general officers multiple times in these major command areas. Once he finds the right person, once he finds that Napoleon, once he finds that that, that individual to muster and rally his troops that, that have so much of a, of a, a technology and advantage on, on the hardware side uh, that, that this will be fine. He just hasn't, that hasn't happened yet because that, that person doesn't exist. Ukraine has advantages on the ground. They have the technology advantage. They have the equipment that's coming from, from the West. And so I, I don't, I don't know. We, we won't know exactly what his next step is. It's potentially a tactical nuke, um, but I think he's going to have to do, be forced to reinforce down in Kherson in the South. Cause now if he loses that territory, that's territory that he took eight years ago. That's territory that was always somewhat Russian to begin with. And then he's got a big fight on his hands there. So now let's move into uh, the future as as we just started in, in this conversation with, you know, you brought up what is it that the Russian people actually know. Uh, we, we live in the world of online and as much as you want to keep it out, things get into China, which means things 
get in, in into Russia. Russia has cut mm-hmm. off Europe from natural gas, but also has lost some markets in which to sell it. China is certainly buying it as much as they can. It's a continual collapse of an economy there. And when you get news that this war that the Russian people didn't actually want to begin with, they don't quite know why it why it all came to be, is really costing lives and treasure, that does turn things around. For those oligarchs, for those people who certainly make money off of uh, protection from Putin, but also have a lot to lose if Putin mm-hmm. should fail and they don't have the right person to go into the place, um, what is happening? Is there is there talk uh, amongst the Russian people, or from your sources that the Russian people are talking about, saying we've had enough? And is there talk that the oligarchs and those in power have said, you know what, enough of of this guy? We'll find somebody else to protect our interest because he's gonna get us killed, and he's already getting people killed. Yeah, I've only seen from from folks I've talked to in the intel community say that it's just the beginning phases of that, that we have to assume that Vladimir Putin will hold on to power for as long as possible. I mean, look at all the assassination attempts that tried to take place on Adolf Hitler back in the day. It's, a, it's the same kind of analogy. And, and Russia is more spread out. It's actually more difficult. The world has become more global. Some of those oligarchs, um, while they've been sanctioned, they still have resources in other places that, that have been hidden and that, that can't that people can't get to and and so the, there's still enough in, in within russia that want the status quo and the status quo is vladimir putin runs it he runs it as a dictator um and there's not been any any real sense that uh, any kind of revolution nor should we expect it there should be no sense of a revolution that's going to take place that'll take him out of power what this ends though potentially with him out of power that might be one way to do it um but the expectation of that uh, in, in the short term in the next let's say 90 days it just should not be very high so let's take now the other side which is the conversation about ukraine where vladimir Zelensky keeps asking for money the united states certainly keeps giving money there is a, a philosophy, a foreign policy a philosophy that it's better to spend the money than to spend uh, the, the, the lives. This is the better way to deal with, with Vladimir Putin. Is the checkbook mm-hmm. from the United States really that open and should it be? Well, it, 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 we really need to do more than just a checkbook right now. I think I think that's the issue. If we are going to settle on this protracted war, all that's really doing is helping Ukraine lose gradually. And, and like I said before about the attrition model and, and how that's worked in history, the country that's had more industrialized power ends up winning because they just grind the other side down. So I, I think it, we've got to do more than just send money. I think we've got to send tanks. We've got to do other send. You know, I'm, not, I'm at the place now where you know, Bradley APCs, other kinds of equipment that might be perceived to be as escalatory, um, but it will stop. It, it, given what Ukraine has done and what they've shown the past 200 days, I, I think that and given the status of the Russian military, um, they could use that equipment more than they could use a check, frankly, because that all they're doing is turning around and buying that from somebody else. They're buying that equipment from Germany or from some other NATO country. If, if we send better equipment, the Germans get off the the stick, for example, and start sending what they've promised, I think that'll that'll go a long way for Ukraine. You're taking a a position that we should become more involved and we should spend more dollars and we should give more. This certainly is a position that is driving a fair amount of Americans uh, batty because um, why why are we paying for this war with Ukraine? So uh, go... 
go down a road of, okay, if we didn't give anything, if we didn't give arms, if we didn't uh, supply money, Russia takes Ukraine, um, is, is, is there a reason for the United States to panic if Ukraine was lost? Well, it, 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 uh, to panic, no. I think that um, it's still fundamentally a regional conflict. And, but but we, we, Russia has become much more of an aggressive state, upsetting the balance of power in, in Europe and upsetting the security situation there. Uh, and as they're linked with China and North Korea and these other countries, we have to recognize that, that there's proxies that exist on both sides. So this is how we want to fight this war. We, but we, again, don't want to protract it so they lose grasp. We don't want to see Ukraine lose uh, a million citizens, a million people. We don't want to see another World War III you know, scenario take place uh, as, as the like. But, but Russia started it. Russia could end it if they wanted to. Uh, if even if the, I, I'll bet you if, were, if if the Russians decided to even go back to the borders of February 23rd, the day before the whole thing started, I think there'd be enough pressure from European countries for have the Ukraine military accept that and the government accept it. Now they're saying they won't. They're saying they want to free Crimea. They say they want to go a little bit further. But you know this is this is how it goes. What the what the world does with Vladimir Putin if he's allowed to survive this really remains to be seen. Similar to Assad in Syria. You know, he starts a civil war, a civil war down there, and and he stayed in power. So as you see, these these dictators have the capacity to to survive these kinds of things, and you know, Russia's no different. Russia has a lot of tremendous capacity, more than Syria even had. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point graduate, military analyst, both radio and TV. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. Okay, as I have been talking about, the polling. Tony Katz today, and I say okay because I haven't had a chance to hear this yet. This John Fetterman campaign event. He's the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania running for Senate against Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, right, the celebrity doctor. And he had a stroke before the primary, a stroke before the primary, and he hasn't really been running for office. He's been hiding in the basement. That's been the strategy. And people are concerned about whether or not he's really up to running for office. He won't do a debate with Dr. Oz. His uh, statements are extremely short. It's mostly memes coming off of Twitter. That's what we're seeing, mostly memes coming off of Twitter. Well, Now, there was a campaign event. Remember, when he campaigns, this is a big, goofy-looking dude with with a bit of a beard, you call it a goatee there, and and a bald, tall guy, uh, kind of lunky, and and he wears the the hoodies. It's it's awkward. It it is uh, definitely awkward. And he's at this campaign event. I haven't had a chance to hear it, so I'm sharing it with you. This is the first time I've had to hear it. How does this sound? Wait a second right there. Let me fix that much better. One of you, you didn't have a doctor in your life making fun of it, making light of it, or telling you that you're not fit to be served. Can you describe uh, a stroke and what, you know, what's happened? So I, I use the example. So... Pretend I was, I want to go to Wegmans. It's such the most important race 
for the Senate here for 22. Okay. So this thing is a little bit edited in terms of segments where clearly uh, the lieutenant governor is not okay. But clearly the lieutenant governor is not okay. We have to replace Pat Toomey. Oh, no, no. Senator Toomey was not very nice to me. He, Pat Toomey is a miracle. He had a chance, he had a chance to match me up again. Abortion is the ballot now in November. Now, first things first. Pat Toomey is who they're running to replace. Pat Toomey is not running for re-election. He's running against Mehmet Oz. Does he think he's running against Pat Toomey? It, 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 I guess someone could take it that way. I'm not so sure if I did. I'll give you the rest. He cannot put together a complete sentence. And one could argue, well, Tony, that's the stroke. I'm not saying no. Maybe it's incredible that he's this far in his recovery, but he is not recovered. And Pennsylvanians are going to have to look real long at that to figure out whether or not they want this man representing them when he's not okay. I'm not diagnosing him. I am saying... That would make me say, hey, why don't we get you to see a doctor right now? No, it's not about feeling for you. It's about making sure I have the proper representation for my state, and he's not it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.